You know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of life. To starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is The Andy Stork Show. Let's go. Welcome to The Andy Stort Show. I am your host, Andy Stort, and this is the show where we can come together to starve our fears, follow our dreams, and fulfill our true potential. And you know I am trying to do that every day, learning as much as I can about everything out there, whether it's mindset, relationships, fitness, health, uh, money, uh, personal branding, marketing, entrepreneurship. Uh, we cover all that stuff, and uh, often it merges together. And today I've got a really great guest for you, a new friend I made recently named Rachel Richards, who is an expert on not only personal finance, but passive income. Uh, she's published two books. Uh, one is called Money Honey, and the next one is called Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. And Rachel is uh, probably best known uh, among people who meet her for the fact that she built up enough passive income uh, to exceed her expenses and retired at the age of 27 a couple years ago, which is just amazing when you think about it. And uh, in this interview today, we talk about uh, how she she got started in her finance background, uh, how and why she published her first book, Money Honey, and how she made that book successful. So if you're thinking about publishing a book like I am, uh, this will be really interesting uh, to learn about her publishing process. And she even did it on the cheap and is making good money from her book. In fact, both of her books now. Uh, and then we talk about uh, different types of passive income streams, how she built up her own passive income, and how she got into real estate investing, as well as the biggest mistake she made in real estate investing that cost her close to $20,000. Uh, a huge one. You're definitely going to want to stay on for that. Um, speaking of mistakes, I was trying to record this and broadcast live on Facebook and kept flubbing it up and didn't even hit record the first time we started recording. And so I had to go back and start over. So we got a little practice run before we got this interview for done for you. So just so you know, if you are someone who's making mistakes on a regular basis, I've been podcasting for over three years and I still make tons of mistakes all the time. So if you are someone who is moving fast and making mistakes on a regular basis, then uh, join the club. And I also want to, before I start this interview, give you an update. Speaking of publishing books, I have been working on my book called Own Your Career, Own Your Life. And uh, I've been taking a live course from a woman named Honore Corridor, who has published over 50 books and is an amazing mentor. Uh, I met Rachel through that course. If you're interested in the course, reach out to me and I'll make a referral. Um, and anyway, along with that, I'm planning, planning on publishing my book in September of this year, 2020. Uh, I'm probably going to phase this podcast out in a little bit of due time and start a new one uh, is what I'm thinking about doing that's aligned with the book called Own Your Career, Own Your Life. I'll let you know if and when that happens so you can jump over. Uh, and I'm also building a new website. I have a new assistant who's helping me build that uh, and setting up some new resources along with the book and on the personal website and everything. Uh, so stay tuned for all of that if you're following along on my journey, if you're in the entrepreneurship journey of like figuring this stuff out with a personal brand, I'm still trying to figure it all out. Um, meanwhile, as I build the corporate business and everything else. So thank you so much for staying with me, joining me on this journey. I really appreciate it. And now here's my interview with Rachel Richards. All right. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Andy Storch. And today I've got Rachel Richards on, who is the best-selling author of two books, including Money, Honey, and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. I've uh, read through both of them and they are fantastic. And I'm excited to have her on today. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Andy. Thanks so much for having me. 
So great to have you on. Uh, we met and connected through our mutual friend and mentor, Honoré Cordor, who has published over 50 books and uh, runs a live course on how to self-publish a book. And uh, you and I met through that course. I'm, of course, in the beginning stages. I've just written the first draft of my book and looking to publish it later this year. You have already published two books that are both very successful uh, great books with tons of reviews on Amazon and sales that are creating passive income for you. And I want to get into uh, how you publish those books, what's in there, some of the lessons, uh, as well as how you're creating the passive income that's allowing you to live the life that you live. But before we get into all that, let's start with just an introduction of, you know, who is Rachel Richards? Yeah, thanks, Andy. I am a lot of things. So I am a former financial advisor. I'm the best-selling author of two books, as you said. I'm a real estate investor with over 35 rental units in Louisville, Kentucky. And what people probably find most interesting or intriguing about me is that last year at age 27, I quit my job and retired, and I am now living off over $10,000 per month in passive income. That is fantastic and something that's very enviable for anyone, whether you're 27, 37, 47. Uh, so I can't wait to dive into how that came about. But I think a lot of it started with your personal finance journey that led to you publishing your first book, which was Money Honey, right? So how did that come about? Yeah, I had always wanted to write a book. I think I have seen a statistic somewhere recently that basically said 82 or 84% of Americans or something like that want to write a book. They have that dream. And I resonated with that. I've always been somebody that I kind of had this idea of writing a book, but I didn't know how or when. And because I was a former financial advisor, I became sort of this finance person that all my friends and family came to for financial advice throughout high school and college. And at some point, I remember thinking, wondering why they weren't reading books on their own or self-educating or, you know, finding other resources to learn from. And then I realized, of course, that personal finance can be a really boring topic, right? It's dull, it's dry, it's intimidating, it's complex. And most of the stuff out there is written by old white dudes. <laughs> so I finally thought to myself, well, how can I take this topic and make it sassy and fun and approachable and simple? And that's where the idea for, of Money Honey came from. So I wrote the book. It has been wildly successful beyond what I ever thought it could possibly do. Um, it's really resonated with female millennials. And I think I have over 550 five-star reviews now on Amazon. That is amazing. And especially considering that I think most people would look at a topic like that and say, well, there's already hundreds of books out there about personal finance. So what's the point of writing one more and yet you've got your own unique voice and point of view. And like you said, you can make it simple and easy for especially those female millennials. And I read the book as well, and I could tell it was targeted more at younger women. And yet it still was great for me. I, and I've studied finance my whole life, and it still broke things down in a way that it made it you know, easy for me to understand. Um, how did you make that book so successful? So many people write books and put them out there and think, oh, someone's going to find my book and then nobody does. So how did you make the book and sell so many copies? Yeah, I think there's a few things to think about. And, and one thing that you said, you know, there's thousands of finance books out there, literally. So how could I write another finance book and set myself apart? And you really have to be able to answer the question, why should somebody read your book? 
what's better or different or unique about your book over the hundreds of thousands of books that are already out there on that topic. You have to be able to articulate that so well that there's no shadow of a doubt of why somebody would want to buy your book. So that's basically called having a unique value proposition. That's absolutely the first step. You have to do your homework first on that. Um, secondly, I think the average copies sold of any author is 250 to 300 copies. I think I've read that statistic somewhere. Um, so that's not a lot at all. I mean, if you sell that many copies, you're looking at making maybe a few hundred bucks, basically. Yeah. So I was kind of worried about that going into it. And I was like, well, how does one self-published author become successful and actually make money? Um, and because I wasn't sure if my book was going to sell, I wanted to make sure I wasn't spending thousands and thousands of dollars on it and on launching it. So I was as frugal as possible. I actually wrote and launched Money Honey for under 600 bucks. And I would recommend if you're a first-time author, really watching every cent that you spend and only spending what you truly need. A couple of things you truly need are number one, an editor. I think a good editor is worth his or her weight in gold. Absolutely do not cheap out on finding an editor because they'll take your book from good to excellent. Um, and it's most people, I mean, I don't know a single person that writes well enough on their own to write a book without having an editor. So absolutely do that. And then the second thing is having a cover designer. I did not have a professional cover designer for Money Honey, and it's something that I regret. I think it could look a lot better. And as I look into releasing a second edition this year, that's something I'm absolutely going to do, and I'm going to upgrade it in that way. Um, I use 99designs.com for my second book. So if you look at the cover of Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, it's so amazing. I love the cover and it looks way better. Um, so that's a great resource. I only spent about 400 bucks on that. And again, that's something that it was worth every single dollar. So, you know, if you're going to spend money, make sure you have a good editor, cover designer, and then, you know, be really, really selective and careful about any other money that you spend. Um, and then I would say my last tip for how to successfully self-publish, there are so many strategies out there um, in terms of having a launch group and a launch team and using social media and all of those things. And I agree with all that stuff. I think one thing I might have done a little differently or uniquely is really getting engaged in Facebook groups. So I've been engaged in a couple Facebook groups way before I even started writing my book. These were just groups that I had almost formed online friendships with. I was asking questions. I was adding value. Um, one of these groups was 13,000 female millennials. And anytime somebody had a money question, I would write out a super helpful thought out response. And I would say, hey, former financial advisor here, here's what I think, and kind of lay everything out for them. And people would always really appreciate my feedback. After enough times doing that, if somebody posted a finance question, other people would tag me and they'd be like, oh, you need to ask Rachel Richards or you need to ask our finance person, Rachel. She's our finance guru. So I kind of became like the finance guru of the group without even purposely trying to do that or realizing it. And by the time I came up with the idea for the book, then I could be like, hey guys, here's what I'm thinking. You know, what do you think about this? And I had hundreds and hundreds of people being like, oh my gosh, yes, write this book. Like, I would love to learn from you. You make this topic so easy to understand. And kind of without knowing it, that I formed my launch group that way. That was in a way my launch team without formally going about making a launch team. So I think Facebook groups are so effective. You know, be engaged, add value. Don't go in there, don't go in there trying to promote yourself, but be a valued member. And then, you know, get people invested in the success of your book. Let them know what's going on. Have them vote on your title and on, on your cover. 
And by the time you launch, they will be emotionally invested in the success of your book and they will want to see it do well. I love that. Uh, such a great tip that we hadn't talked about before. And uh, I've been very involved in Facebook groups for the last three or four years, a lot of dad groups, entrepreneur groups, podcasting groups, never selling anything, just giving value and making connections. I've made so many great friends from those groups. And um, I can see how that could be really beneficial when launching a book as well. So I'm glad you shared that. And, uh, you know, it could be useful for any kind of stuff where you're marketing. Give first. I mean, I've seen you and I've only known each other a couple of months, but I see you absolutely live that, which is, you know, build a real relationship, give first before you ever ask for anything. Um, I try to do the same thing and I find that it, it works out really well, no matter what it is you're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. You can't go in and be all self promo and only thinking about yourself. The best way to succeed is to really find ways to add value to other people. And that will come back full circle. You know, that will help you succeed more than anything else. Totally. Well, while you were describing that process, you mentioned your second book, Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, where you did uh, hire a graphic designer or use 99designs, which I'm thinking about using as well. Um, that's kind of a more advanced topic on the personal finance front. Uh, how did that come about? How did you get into this whole idea of building passive income? I love the topic of passive income. So I'll just define it real quick. So passive income is money that is earned with little to no ongoing effort. So it sounds like a get rich quick scheme, but it's definitely not. There's no such thing as easy money. Um, passive income does take time or money to build, but once you have it going and you have that momentum built up, then it becomes a lot more hands off. Um, so I love the idea of passive income. I had this epiphany a few years ago and I finally realized, hey, if you're passive income exceeds your living expenses, you're retired, you're financially independent, you don't have to keep going into a job and you've finally found a way to stop trading your time for money. So that is the beauty of passive income. Um, I started my passive income journey actually by investing in real estate. So real estate investing was something I had always wanted to do because from what I had learned, it is one of the best tools for building long-term wealth. And I still believe that. So my husband and I bought our first duplex in 2017, um, and then later that year actually is when I wrote Money Honey. But I started building up passive income streams. <clears throat> I hit the point where I reached over $10,000 a month in passive income in 2018, actually, but then it took me an entire year to actually quit my job because that's a really scary thing to do. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I was, yeah, I was working on a great team. I was paid really well, so walking away from that was actually pretty difficult, um, but yeah, so I, at that point, I had so many people that were kind of following my journey already from my first book, and I realized that this topic of passive income, like nobody had written about it before, and there were so many people that were interested, and they wanted to know how I was doing what I was doing. So kind of throughout my journey, I was taking notes, and I decided to write my second book on that. Um, what I love about my second book is that I got to, this time I got to interview some amazing experts across the country and kind of feature them as case studies. Because in my book, I talk about 28 different passive income models. So trust me, there is something out there for everybody. But of course, I haven't done all 28 myself. So the ones I've done myself, I can obviously speak to um, really thoroughly. And then for the rest, I relied on subject matter experts. So I interviewed Hal Elrod, who is the international bestselling author of The Miracle Morning. So that was amazing. He talks about how to create passive book royalties. Um, also, Honoré Quarter. I also got to interview 
interview David Osborne, who's one of the most successful real estate franchise owners in the world. Um, so he talked all about rental income and had some amazing thoughts, um, tons of other people. But yeah, that's basically how the idea came about. And it's also resonated very well. I think it's a topic that is really, really interesting to people right now. Yeah, and it's one of those mysterious topics that people say like, oh, I want passive income, but I have no idea how to do that. And you lay it all out in your book and not just the really popular ones like real estate or even stock dividends or something like that. Um, you've got things in there like print on demand and uh, you know music licensing and just all kinds of different things that people do. And like you said, stuff that you haven't done, um, but you have experts in there. I like all the case studies, seeing what Hal Elrod's done with his book and what Honoré has done with all of hers. Uh, and the different recording artists that you featured, uh, really cool. So what are all the, what are the passive income streams that you have now? Um, well, I guess I technically have four now, which I used to have three, but um, I have my book royalties. And actually in February, I had my first $7,000 month in book sales, like in book royalties. Awesome. So that was really cool. Thank you. And then my rental income normally makes anywhere between seven and 12 grand per month. Right now, things are a little tricky, obviously, with everything that's going on. So that's seen um, a really big decrease, which is fine. As long as we're breaking even, we're fine. And I think the worst case scenario for us is that we'll break even on that over the next few months. But that's such an important lesson because in the midst of all this, I have multiple passive income streams. And that's the whole point is diversifying your income. You don't want to be 100% dependent on one source of income because that can be taken away from you. That can be eliminated or reduced. And then what do you do? So the whole idea or part of the idea of passive income is diversifying your income and having these multiple income streams. So even though my rental income is being impacted right now, I have the other streams of income that are coming in, so I'm fine. Um, my third passive income stream is the print on demand. So we have a platform, we make designs, we put them on products that already exist. And we don't have any inventory, so this eliminates all of your inventory and financial risk because the products are printed on demand. So they're not actually created until somebody buys them. And there's all sorts of platforms that do this. There's Redbubble. I think Etsy does this a little bit. Um, I think Teespring might be another one. There's Merch. So lots of really cool ways to do that. And I think that's one way for beginners to get in into the passive income stream. Um, and then my last one, which is brand new, is my online course. So I just launched my first course. It's called Get Your Financial Shit Together. It's a lot of fun. It goes along with my book, Money, Honey. And um, that will eventually be a passive income stream for me as well. Hell yeah, that's awesome. And you, I remember when you first started putting the course together is when you and I first met and we were talking about it. And you said that you set an ambitious goal to get 20 people in your first course. And how many people have you reg have registered? I had 50 signups for my beta and was, I just can't believe it. I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. I'm and so you're happy. running it, yeah. you're, you're running it, um, or it's, it's already recorded. So it's now an additional passive income stream because people can invest, can buy it, take it at mm -hmm. their leisure, and then you'll have more launches and more people taking it later. Yep. It's all pre-recorded. I plan on basically opening it up and launching it four times a week. Um, but yeah, I mean, another, it's just so many, there's so many ways to think of passive income and to make passive income. And once you start seeing some of these ways, you'll just see ideas everywhere. You know, it's really about what unique services or knowledge can you share with others. And just because you're not the absolute expert in some topic 
doesn't mean that you can do this, you know, because if that was the case, I would basically be saying, well, I'm not Dave Ramsey. So why would people listen to me? Right. right. I, if I know more than other people, then I can teach other people, period. So as long as you know more than the average person, you're an, you're an expert to them and you have an enormous base of people you can provide your service to or sell your product to or teach. And it's really awesome. Not to mention, you've got a different voice, different point of view. I've listened to Dave Ramsey, and uh, I know he's changed a lot of people's lives, but you know he doesn't yeah. do it for me, right? I'd rather follow um, our, you know, our mutual friend Vincent Buglese. I've followed yeah. him for quite a while since I read his book, Freelance to Freedom. You know, reading your book and learning from you on finance, um, especially because there's more of an investing angle than just you know cut everything back and and pay off all your debt, that sort of thing. Um, the real estate thing is something that I've invested in the stock market for a long time. I've studied that. I learned a lot of it from my, from my father, luckily, um, but I've always been afraid to dive into the real estate uh, investing side of things. So I've never really done it before. How did you get started in that? So, like I said, I'd always wanted to invest in real estate. I was pretty determined to buy a rental property at a pretty young age. Um, and I learned a lot from reading. The best book, I mean, besides mine, <laughs> the best book um, about rental income and rental properties is this book called Hold by Steve Chater, I think. And also the McKissicks are co-authors, Linda McKissick, I think. Um, excellent resource. But, you know, Basically, I had paid my way through school by selling Cutco knives. I don't know if you've heard of Cutco. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So I sold Cutco all through school. I paid my way through school, graduated with no debt. My husband is a veteran of the Navy, and he used his benefits to pay for his college um, education. So we both graduated with zero debt, and we didn't know each other then. But coming into our relationship, we both didn't have any student debt and really no other debt. Um, and we were pretty responsible with our money and good at saving. So after a few years, you know, separately on our own, each of us, we had, you know, lots of money saved, tens of thousands of dollars saved. Our first duplex, and keep in mind, we're in, we were in Louisville, Kentucky, which is a very low cost of living area. So I can almost hear my like Bay Area people scoffing at me. Yeah. <laughs> but the duplex that we bought was 100 grand. So it was super cheap. And that was even cheap for the Louisville market. Um, we put 20 grand down on it to have a 20% down payment. And right off the bat, it was cash flowing 500 bucks a month. Um, in, in pure profit. And we basically kept that, we reinvested that money so that we could save even more for the next down payment. And it's really great because my initial goal actually was to invest in one single family house per year for 15 years, all on 15 year mortgages. And that way in 15 years, I was going to retire because I would have the more, yeah. yeah, I was like, this is perfect. You know, originally I was hoping to retire in my mid thirties. Um, so it's really amazing to think back to how quickly this happened for us just in a span of three years. But once you invest in your first one and you're making that money, then your savings is going to build up even faster than before. So it, it doesn't take a lot to really be able to build up momentum. And then, you know, then the money's coming pouring in and you can just continue to acquire if that's what you want to do. Yeah. So you're, you're building up the extra income. And I know from reading your book, Money Honey, that you're big on not only increasing income, but controlling expenses as well. So imagine you're doing a lot to control your costs so that you had extra to invest. Yeah. Lifestyle creep is the worst. It's the hardest thing because anytime you start making more money, you feel 
entitled to kind of increase your quality of living to spend more money. I mean, who wouldn't? You feel like, oh, I've earned more money. Now I also earn, you know, a higher quality of life, a better lifestyle. So trying not to give into the lifestyle creep is probably one of the hardest things when it comes to money management. Um, but yeah, my husband and I have always been frugal. We've always tried to save about 50% of our income. That hasn't always happened though, but I would say on average, we're probably saving at least 35 to 40%. That's fantastic. Probably more than most people do. Uh, what's been the biggest mistake that you've made on your journey through all of this financial mistake? Oh, um, I love that question. I'll, I'll do something more like real estate related because this is a okay. funny story. It was not funny at the time, but <laughs> <laughs> funny now. Um, yeah, we hired property managers, um, you know, with rental income, you want to have a property manager and have the expense for that property manager in place because the last thing you want to do is quit your job and then become a full-time landlord. Right. So that's not the point. And rental income is still very passive without having a property manager, especially if you have a handful of units, very, very doable. Yeah, but when you, you know get into things yourself or something like that, but if you don't, then yeah. Yeah. And then when you get into, you know, 20, 30 units, then it's like, okay, we need to have a property manager. So we got to that point. We hired somebody. These were people that had worked for us for a long time doing other work around the rentals. Um, the most hardworking people I know, it was a husband and wife couple and they always went above and beyond. They were just, we trusted them so much. So we were like, well, let's hire them on as employees. Um, we, we initially just didn't want to go with a property management company because we wanted to save money and we wanted to just have like a lower expense there. So we trusted these people. We decided to hire them as our employees to manage our properties. You can probably see where this story is going. Um, fast forward to a year later, and here's what we found out after the fact is that they went on drugs. They stole $6,000 worth of rental income. Ooh. They had been squatting in our property and vacant rooms for over a year, not paying rent, not paying utilities, not paying cable or Wi-Fi or internet. Um, and then they stole the master key to all of our properties and we had to spend $2,000 getting everything rekeyed, every single door and every single building. Wow. So yeah, so that's fun. <laughs> Love that for <laughs> I thought us. you were just going to say, you know, you accidentally spent a hundred dollars too much somewhere, but that's a, that's a good one right there. Yeah. It was like when we totaled up the damages, it was $20,000 in damages and, um, we're still looking for them. Their names are Jeremy and Kristen Berry <laughs> and there's a warrant out for their arrest. So <laughs> Like this podcast is now America's most wanted. Or something. <laughs> yeah. So what I'll is pay the, a $250 reward for any information leading to their arrest. <laughs> nice. What's, uh, what's the big lesson from that that people can take away? Um, I w the big lesson is to go with a legitimate company and go with, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this seems so silly, right? This seems like duh to most people, but it's funny. You'll make mistakes that other people might find obvious, but I learn something in real estate every single day. Um, you know, when you're going to hire a property manager, hire a legit company, make sure they're licensed and bonded. Also make sure you have your umbrella liability policy in place, you know, things like that. There are easy things that we could have done to prevent this. So it's totally on us, but um, yeah, we'll definitely go about things differently in the future. Yeah. Well, you know, good lesson learned. I'm glad we can share that with other people. <laughs> um, you have also going back to kind of passive in, or, or personal finance and passive income in general. Um, you talked about being involved in those Facebook groups. You have a community. You've talked to a lot of people about this stuff. What are the, some of the most common mistakes that people are making with their money? I think the most common mistake is probably misusing credit cards. Um, that's what I typically see over and over again. And, um, you know, it sucks because 
it's such an easy cycle to fall into because at one, one time, at one point you're paying the balance every single month, um, paying the full balance and it's no problem. And then maybe, you know, you have an unexpected expense, your credit card bills a, a little bit more than normal. So you're able to pay 90% of the balance and you figure no big deal. I'll pay the other 10% in a couple weeks. And so you can see how from there things can sort of spiral out of control. And that sucks because, you know, credit card companies are designed to sort of be predators to people and take advantage of their emotions. Um, but that's how people get in trouble. And really having the awareness of that and using them responsibly can help you sort of avoid that. Um, but if you're someone that is really tempted and will give in to maybe spending money that you don't have because it's there. And again, this they're created to prey on your emotions and take advantage of you. So it's totally understandable. But if you know, if you're somebody that might be too tempted to use it responsibly, then um, I would say don't use them at all. So in that way, maybe I am, you know, I agree with Dave Ramsey there, cut up the credit cards, don't use them at all. But I do think credit cards can be a great tool if used responsibly. So if you treat it like a debit card, and if you truly don't buy anything unless you have that money in your bank account right then, and, and if you pay the balance in full every single month, you'll avoid the interest altogether. And I think they can be great because you can earn miles and bonus points. And I basically have, I don't remember the last time that I paid full price for an airline ticket or, or for traveling because I do travel hacking or whatever. And I'm able to buy really cheap flights, get free rooms, all those things because of credit cards. So it can be good and bad. It can be like your best friend or your worst enemy, depending on how you use it. Um, but I do think that's one of the biggest mistakes I see people making. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've uh, played the credit card games for many years, traveling consultant. I've done all the travel hacking, probably still more I could be doing and gotten my share of free flights and there's been many benefits. So I've never completely gotten rid of the credit cards, um, but there's so many risks, so many dangers. I've cut it close too many times and gone over a couple times, uh, but you want to always pay that off every month because if you get into that cycle where they start billing you at that high interest rate, um, when you talk to people that have gotten into that, that hole, right? Where now they're not paying it off every month and they've got this high interest. How do you, what kind of plan do you recommend people together to get back in, in good standing? Yeah. So paying down your debt, no matter what type of, type of debt it is, you, the best way to do it is to pay it off as aggressively as possible. And there's a couple ways to do this. So Dave Ramsey talks about the snowball method. And the way that works is you list out all of your debts in order of smallest to largest balance. And you pay off your smallest balance first. And psychologically, that's very rewarding because you're getting those small, easy wins in at the beginning, and then you're motivated to keep going. So I love that method. Um, that's the snowball method with Dave Ramsey. The other method, I think it's called the avalanche method, but I kind of refer to it as the high interest rate method. And this is where you pay off your highest interest rate debt first. Now, logically, this is the most efficient use of your money. So if you want to pay off your debt with as few dollars as possible, this is actually the best way to to do it mathematically. Now, either method works, you know, everyone asks me, well, which one's better? I think the secret is the best method is the one that works best for you and that will best motivate you because some people will be motivated by paying those balances off quickly. Others will be motivated knowing mathematically they're putting the, you know, they're making the most efficient use of their money and paying the high interest rate off first. Um, I think the bit where people get stuck is just not having enough to pay it off aggressively. So I kind of talk about, you know, in my workshops, I'll ask this question and Andy, I'll pick on you. I ask, Hey, if you're trying to save up money quickly for something, a concert ticket, a car repair, whatever it is, what sorts of things do you do so that you can save money pretty quickly? 
uh, as far as um, cutting back expenses or finding ways to, yeah. Yeah. um, You know, maybe eating out a little bit less, cutting back on, um, you know, the non-essential purchases, like whatever we're buying regularly on Amazon, you know, clothing, things like that. Oh yeah. Um, Both of those things are great. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's a lot of the business expenses I invest in that tend to be the biggest that I can, it's probably the biggest lever I can pull back on. Mm -hmm. I've never been very good at getting the food budget down, even though we don't, have need, I. <laughs> we don't even need out that much. I swear we still spend so much money on groceries. I don't know where it all goes, but same. Uh, I ha- I literally have no clue. I struggle with it every single month. And I'm like, Rachel, you're a finance guru. Get your shit together <laughs> with this. I know food. what it is. Do you, are you a Costco member? <laughs> no, that's I'm what, not. That's what See? kills me is Costco. Oh, I can't get out yeah. of that place without spending dollars. <laughs> it's just nuts. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, Yeah. So those are perfect examples. Um, Most people, you know, eating out less or cutting back on the food, that's the easiest way to go about saving more money. Um, And the common theme there is that, um, and when I teach this in workshops, workshops, I get similar feedback, but the common theme is that we're all focused on decreasing expenses. mm -hmm. And I think you were leading into the other option, but you know, most of us think of how do I cut back on expenses first because it's quick and easy and efficient, right? The thing is there's only so much you can do to cut back on your expenses. You can't stop paying your mortgage or rent. You can't stop paying your utility, but like your heating bill in the middle of winter, you can't stop buying food. So there's a limit to how much you can cut back your expenses. And I'm not saying not to do that. We should absolutely focus on getting your spending in line. It's just that that's not the only thing you can do, right? So there's actually two ways to increase your savings. One is to decrease your expenses. Two is to increase your income. And for some reason, we never think about this, but increasing your income is brilliant because there's no one stopping you from making more money. There's no maximum on how much money you can make in a year. So if you can find ways to do both, to decrease your expenses and to increase your income, that is where you'll make the biggest impact with your budget. And that's where you'll finally be able to free up a lot of extra money to then put towards paying down your debt. Love it. And for people who are, you know, maybe not entrepreneurs like us uh, who are working in a job, have a pretty fixed salary, not expecting raises anytime soon, might be wondering, well, how do I go about increasing my income? Oh, yeah. Lots of ways to do this. When you think about income, there are two categories of income. There's active income. That's earned income. That's uh, money that you're trading your time to get paid for, basically. Then there's the passive income that we talked about where you're not trading your time for your money. Um, So the first one is decide which one you want to do. I will say active income is a lot quicker to do and it's easier and you can probably go do that and make money right away. Passive income could take a little bit more time to create that income stream. But, you know, things that anybody can do, if you're a homeowner, do you have an extra bedroom in your house? Can you rent it out to a tenant? Um, Can you go get a part-time job or an extra job on the weekends? Can you mow lawns, house it, pet sit? Um, There is a website called Neighbor where it actually lets you list extra space in your house or your garage for rent, for people's stuff, like not for Hmm. a tenant, but if people need storage space, they can rent space from you and make and then you make money so that's like a brilliant way to make passive income um, and then the, the easiest way to just make a, a, maybe a hundred extra bucks really quickly is to sell stuff in your house that you don't need so I do this a lot eBay Facebook marketplace yeah. I list stuff that I don't need anymore and I can make easy money from that and I also use Poshmark to sell to sell clothes that I don't need anymore and I've made several hundred dollars on that Wow. Interesting. And I know I learned something this week too. Uh, If you're thinking about selling some stuff laying around the house, now could be a really good time under COVID-19 because a lot of things are sold out on Amazon apparently. 
And so I had this uh, microphone, this mobile mic that I bought uh, a few months, six months ago, and then decided it was like $250 mic. I decided that I didn't really want it. I missed the deadline to return it to Amazon. So I listed on Facebook Marketplace. I kept getting all these lowball offers and putting it off. And then all of a sudden this week, somebody came back with a full offer, $230. When he showed up at my house to buy it, he's like, I'm so glad you had this. They've been sold out on Amazon for a while. Uh, so everything's oh. been sold out, I guess, because everybody's buying everything online during COVID. That's really smart. Yeah. There you go. That's you a great idea. I know I've heard that like a roll of toilet paper is going for a thousand bucks these days. So. <laughs> <laughs> I also have, speaking of my Costco habits, when all this started, I've never been panicking because I had a 30 pack of uh, toilet paper in my uh, shed that I bought at Costco oh, nice. several months ago that I didn't need. Um, but anyway, that's, that's my Costco <laughs> habits. So we got to wrap things up, Rachel. Um, I know you've given a lot of people to think about with regards to their finances, publishing a book, especially building up passive income. Um, what's one more tip you'd give on getting started in passive income? And do you have any resources to help people get started? Oh, for sure. So the first step is really to ask yourself, do I have more time or do I have more money? Now, for me, the answer used to be neither, right? So somebody, somebody might be thinking, well, I have neither. Right. That's fine. Which one is going to be easier for you to create? Can you, is it going to be easier for you to free up time or is it going to be easier for you to create more money? Because you will need one or the other to create passive income streams. So I just recommend asking yourself that first and foremost, and then figuring out how you're going to free up that time, how you're going to you know, make that extra money so you can invest in this passive income stream. Um, one thing that I will offer your listeners for free is my free passive income bonus gift, which includes um, basically a worksheet that helps you decide which passive income stream you should start creating first based on your specific circumstances. And it includes the top three deadly mistakes to avoid when building passive income. And then there's a list of a lot of other resources and tools, a lot of which are totally free. So um, if you want to download that, that's at www.moneyhoneyrachel.com backslash bonus. All right, moneyhoneyrachel.com backslash bonus. Rachel, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking time to come on and share some of your journey and your wisdom around finance, publishing, passive income. Uh, it's been great for me and uh, I'm sure it has been for our listeners as well. So thank you again for coming on the show. Thanks so, so, so much, Andy. <laughs> All right, take care. Thanks. Thanks.